Marcus Vitruvius Polio, a famed Roman architect, once said, Let architects who propose to superintend the work of others never fail to summon up in the presence of their audience the prestige which pertains to authority. Today we reverently introduce to you the indomitable Pantheon, a testament to those words of Vitruvius. Ha, huh, the Pantheon, a mind-boggling marvel dating back to 125 AD. The sheer genius behind architect Apollodorus's design venerated the celestial dome and created an unmatched feat of architecture that stands as a baffling enigma till this day. And it all centers around that astounding oculus, right? The eye to heavens which not only lights up the sacred interiors, but also connects the mundane to the divine. Absolutely, Paul. Pantheon's journey through time, seeing power shifts, religious transformations and nature's wrath, and yet emerging victoriously, refusing to bow down to the sands of time, is nothing short of a marvel. Speaking of transformations, I believe it started off as a Roman temple, and later became a church, correct? The metamorphosis must come with a backstory we all are eager to unwrap. Paul, any insights? Oh, I'm saving that experience for you guys. Unraveling the transformation of this ancient Roman structure from a pagan temple to a Christian church will be quite the profound journey. So, let's set our path for this intriguing adventure through time, shrouded in layers of history. Considering the massive dome of the Pantheon, the complexity of balancing such a structure in that ancient age. Abigail, what do you think made it possible? Andrew, the construction methods were surely advanced for the time. Imagine laying a sphere over the building, only half would show. That's what the Romans essentially did when constructing the Pantheon's dome. They took a celestial idea and turned it into an earthly creation. A magnificent physical manifestation. Wow, that's mind-blowing. Such a feat would even be challenging today. Absolutely. It's also worth noting that Romans used lighter materials towards the top and gradually heavier ones towards the base. Ingenious, really. The specific distribution of weight helped them avoid structural instability while assisting in support. It's as if they were mirroring nature itself. Exactly, Paul. They grasped something profound about nature's way of balancing forces. This architectural marvel stands as a testament to those ancient minds, their capacity to conceive design and build such a structure that not only respects but also replicates the natural world. The Pantheon's dome, it's a marvel unmatched even today. Do any domes come to mind that might challenge its supremacy? Is it even a fair match? The Pantheon has time, history and a transformative journey on its side. But I'd wager the dome of the US Capitol is in the running. It's certainly a monumental feat of engineering and represents democratic ideals, just as the Pantheon embodies the celestial. A stirring comparison. The US Capitol's dome, completed in 1863, is an architectural feat. But visualising that beside the Pantheon, it's fascinating the Romans managed to construct the Pantheon's dome nearly 2,000 years prior. It indeed underlines the grandeur of Roman capabilities. That only echoes the wide-reaching influence of Rome. Even today we see their architectural imprint in our societies. What about Florence's Duomo, Abigail, another dome inspired by the Pantheon? Absolutely, the Duomo certainly was inspired by the Pantheon. Constructed in the 15th century, it's considered an engineering masterpiece. 
and rightly so, as it's the largest masonry dome in the world. Even it stands in testament to the lasting impact of the Pantheon's design. It's really eye-opening how one ancient Roman temple continually inspires architecture around the world even today. That's the beauty of architecture, isn't it? Timeless in essence, ever-changing in form. One could only wonder how such ancient brilliance reverberates in our modern edifices. Let's look upwards now to the structure's crown jewel, the oculus, the eye of the Pantheon. Oh, right. The oculus, that's the circular opening on the top of the dome, right? Exactly. It measures nine metres across and is the only source of natural light in the Pantheon. What strikes me about it is the sheer audacity of a structure, standing fast for nearly two millennia, open to the elements. It's much more than an audacious design element. Technically, it's a structural necessity. It works as a compression ring, counteracting the outward thrust of the dome's weight and helping to stabilise the structure. And when rain falls through the oculus, it's collected in the floor below, isn't it? Yes, there are drainage holes in the marble floor to handle the rainwater. So it's not only a spectacle, but serves a practical function too. Interesting. I can't help but be entranced by the scene it creates, the sunlight streaming through, casting an ethereal beam across the interior. The Greeks believe that round shapes are perfect and divine. And in the Pantheon, the oculus combined with the hemispherical dome, it's almost as if you're inside a hollowed-out sphere. It's harmonious and comforting, yet immense and awe-inspiring. Comforting yet immense. It seems that's the Pantheon's charm. A unique blend of fascinating history, architectural achievement, religious reverence, all culminating in the oculus, the eye into heaven. How about listener experiences around the Oculus? Anything remarkable there? I've read accounts from visitors who describe the Pantheon as a gigantic sundial. Imagine standing inside the Pantheon as the day progresses and the sun's rays beam through the Oculus, gradually shifting location and illuminating different parts of the interior walls. Quite the spectacle, wouldn't you say? That effectively ties in with the Roman concept of the celestial sphere. The oculus enabled the Romans to observe the sky's patterns and movement. And on rainy days, as we already discussed, it creates an entirely distinct visual effect with rainwater falling right in the centre. So the weather condition manipulates the ambience, creating a different spectacle each time. Now, that's a truly versatile design. Exactly. And that's not all. Did you folks ever hear about the phenomenon known as the oculus autumn? No, what's that about? It's an extraordinary event that takes place on certain afternoons in autumn. When the sun's position aligns perfectly with the oculus, it produces a singular beam of light that moves across the interior of the Pantheon, almost like a spotlight beamed down from heaven. Visitors described it as a moment of breathtaking beauty. That's stunning. A celestial performance of light and shadow in an architectural marvel. Imagine experiencing that a visual spectacle merging with such historical reverence. It's mind-boggling indeed how the Pantheon has stood as a silent sentinel to these celestial wonders over centuries, soaking in the sun, rain and time itself through its oculus. It's not just an eye into the heavens, but a lens through which history has been witnessed. Ever wondered how a building designed to worship Roman deities came to become a Christian church? In fact, I've always been intrigued by this transformation. 
But to me, this shift from pagan to Christian feels complicated. It's like culture and history colliding in one iconic building. What's your take, Abigail? Yes, it is indeed a complex narrative. The Pantheon was built as a temple honouring seven deities of the seven planets, with the architecture, particularly the dome and the oculus, mimicking the cosmic sphere. However, due to Christianity's rise, a shift likely seemed inevitable. In 609 AD, the Byzantine Emperor Phocas gave the Pantheon to Pope Boniface IV, who transformed it into the Church of Santa Maria and Martyrs. So the Pantheon went through this whole metamorphosis from a place meant for pagan worship to a home for Christian faith. Can you explain the impact of this transformation on its architectural integrity, Abigail? Definitely. The transformation required certain architectural changes. Original marble cladding, bronze ceiling tiles and several decorations were stripped for the church establishment. However, consider the other side of the coin. This conversion helped the preservation of the Pantheon. Amidst Christianization, many ancient Roman buildings were abandoned, repurposed or torn down. Yet the Pantheon's new purpose ensured its continual maintenance and survival to the present day. Looking at it that way, converting to a church saved the Pantheon from possible ruin. But it does leave me thinking about those original elements that were lost, the parts of history erased in the transformation process. It's a double-edged sword. On one hand, the transformation allowed the Pantheon's longevity, creating a living testament to Roman architectural prowess. Yet, on the other hand, it demanded certain compromises that tampered with its original identity. So, it's about survival and preservation versus authenticity to its original design and function. Quite a dilemma and a fascinating debate indeed. As we delve into the Pantheon's grandeur, it becomes clear that it's more than just a building. Don't you think, Abigail, Andrew? You're right, Paul. This architectural marvel witnessed a lot from pagan to Christian rites. You can't disconnect it from its religious context. Surely. It's hard to imagine the Pantheon devoid of the stories, rites and beliefs that molded its very existence. The Pantheon was originally dedicated to seven Roman deities, each associated with a celestial body known to the Romans. Abigail, have you heard about these deities? As much as architecture fascinates me, I must admit that I have limited knowledge about Roman mythology. Care to shed some light, Paul? Absolutely. The Pantheon, or Temple of All Gods, mean was built to honor the seven major deities of Roman mythology, the Moon, Venus, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, and the Sun. Each of these gods had a day of the week dedicated to them, with elaborate religious rites and rituals. These celestial beings were linked with the days we have in our own week. That's a fascinating connection. So it's like the building not only represented the gods, but also the time cycle itself, this puts the architectural detailing into a different perspective. Maybe there was symbolism in its design that reflected these deities. Indeed, the fact that there were seven niches might suggest that. Each one may have housed a statue of one of these deities. Yet many details remain elusive, adding an air of mystery and wonder to the Pantheon. So we are looking at an architectural masterpiece that served as a tribute to the Roman deities and a telling reflection of their culture. Indeed. We can't fully appreciate the Pantheon's architectural magnificence without understanding the cultural and religious fabric it was born into.
Even within the Pantheon's concrete walls, I imagine countless stories brew and unfold. True, Andrew. And to delve deeper into these tales, we're joined by renowned local historian Maria Grazia, known for her extensive work on Rome's architectural history. Thank you, Abigail, Andrew, and Paul, for having me. Speaking of the Pantheon, it's like going back in time with every step. Maria, can you share some of these lived experiences and tales from the Pantheon's past with us? Certainly. Many of Rome's ancient rituals and ceremonies happened right where we stand today. Imagine standing amidst a crowd under the celestial dome during the spring equinox. Suddenly, a shaft of sunlight beams through the oculus and illuminates the crowds. The whole city would pour into what they believed was a divine manifestation. In this modern age, such events would spark magic. Absolutely, Andrew. Moving to a more sobering tale, the Pantheon had also become a precious refuge during times of strife. Fascinating. Can you elaborate on that, Maria? During the sack of Rome in 410 AD, the Pantheon remained untouched, while the city was ransacked. It's believed it was initially spared due to its religious significance. Later, it became a refuge for countless Romans oblivious of what tomorrow would bring. So the Pantheon, over centuries, transitioned from being a site of divine manifestation to providing shelter amidst chaos of wars. Indeed, Abigail. Be it joy or despair, the Pantheon has silently witnessed the city's heartbeat all these years. A testament, if you will, to Rome's resilience and a reminder that architecture cannot be separated from the context of its surrounding life. Abigail, you got to help me understand. How did the Romans construct such a massive structure with the architectural know-how of the time? Great question, Andrew. Let's begin with the substance of the Pantheon, which is Roman concrete. Unlike the concrete we use today, Roman concrete was a mixture of volcanic ash, lime and seawater. This was mixed with pieces of rock or brick and poured into temporary wooden moulds to create the desired shape. Wait, volcanic ash and seawater? That sounds quite unusual. It does, doesn't it? What's more, this combination made Roman concrete much less brittle and more resistant to weathering, which explains the enduring stability of the Pantheon. Interesting to know. And what was their approach to building the dome? The Pantheon's dome is its crowning glory, and it's constructed in a series of concentric rings, each getting progressively thinner towards the top and lightening the overall load of the structure. The thickness of the dome at its base is approximately 21 feet, whereas at the very top, near the oculus, it's around 4 feet. This gradual thinning of the layers is what allows the dome to sustain its own weight. Looking at all this meticulous planning and novel use of materials, it's clear the Romans were ahead of their time. They carved a path for our modern architecture in numerous ways. Yeah, the ancient Romans didn't just build, they truly engineered. With their meticulous planning and innovative use of materials, they manifested structures that have stood the test of time. Indeed, Andrew. What we really must appreciate is that the Pantheon is not just a building. It's evidence of a dream, of an age where order and proportion were celebrated, and it beautifully embodies the remarkable achievements of ancient Roman architecture. So, Abigail... I'm interested to know how the amazing design features of the Pantheon have influenced contemporary architecture, especially the dome and the oculus. Well, Andrew, the Pantheon is like a living textbook. Architects throughout history have analysed its design to understand and replicate its structural marvels. 
the perfect symmetry and impressive dome design have especially drawn in many architects. Are there any specific buildings we can see these influences? Certainly, Paul. One example is the U.S. Capitol building, which was directly inspired by the Pantheon's dome. The Oculus concept is often utilised for its aesthetics and unique lighting provision. Another example would be the famed Louvre Museum's glass pyramid, although not a dome. It still uses the principle of introducing light into a space, much like the Pantheon's use of the Oculus. That's fascinating how ancient Roman figures translated across different epochs and continents. Isn't it? To think how a structure standing for nearly 2,000 years could leave such a footprint in modern times, it's incredible. More than the physical features, the Pantheon's design also influenced the way architects approach balance, proportion and space utilisation. So its influence goes much beyond its visual elements. Isn't it right to say then that every time we cross paths with these buildings, somehow in one way or another we're having an encounter with a piece of the Pantheon's soul? Many don't realise the Pantheon wasn't always as we know it today. It has undergone various modifications and restorations over centuries. True. Even its purpose transformed from a pagan temple to a Christian church. What other adaptive modifications has the Pantheon undergone? Well, major changes were made under Pope Boniface IV in the 7th century and Pope Urban VIII in the 17th century. They carried out structurally necessary repairs leading to alterations in its original appearance. I believe Urban VIII even removed some of the bronze from the Pantheon's portico to use in St. Peter's Basilica, right? Correct. Many argued this move stripped the Pantheon of part of its original glory, but Urban VIII viewed it as the necessary recycling of valuable resources to serve the larger church. Despite these changes, the Pantheon survived largely intact. And that's not just the building itself, right? The area surrounding the Pantheon has also evolved. Yes, from bustling ancient Roman streets to a quaint plaza, it mirrors Rome's changing face. The Piazza della Rotonda, which houses the Pantheon now, was once a well-trafficked area in ancient Rome, but over centuries evolved into the charming square adored today. In essence, it's a dance between preservation and adaptation, painstakingly ensuring the core soul stays intact while accommodating shifts necessary for survival, much like the Pantheon itself. So I have heard a few intriguing stories about the Pantheon's archaeology. Actually, I might have a few more to add too, but Andrew, why don't you go first? Sure. Did you know that the marble used in the Pantheon's construction isn't local? It was imported from quarries all across the Roman Empire, Egypt, Turkey, Greece, marking the Pantheon not just as a Roman architectural marvel, but as a snapshot of their expansive trade network. Wait, so this Temple of the Gods is essentially a blend of materials from all over the Empire? That feels almost symbolical. It is, isn't it? Another little nugget of information, the exact age of the Pantheon has always been a subject of discussion, primarily because the original records were lost in the fire. It took archaeological investigations, the study of building materials and historical accounts to estimate its age. I've got something related to that. The inscription on the Pantheon, M. Agrippa L.F. Costa Tivum Fisit, translated as Marcus Agrippa, son of Lucius, when consul for the third time, built this, has long led scholars to believe Agrippa built the Pantheon. 
However, archaeological dating indicates that Agrippa's building burnt down, and the Pantheon we see today was a replacement built under Hadrian, around 118-128 AD. That's incredible. So basically the inscription could be referring to an entirely different building, and the Pantheon we have today is essentially a rebuild? Exactly. Roman emperors often left older inscriptions intact, possibly to honour predecessors or connect to the building's history. Well, whether built by Agrippa or Hadrian, the Pantheon stands as an enduring testimony to the architectural brilliance and the intriguing history of ancient Rome. Of course, the Pantheon isn't just an architectural marvel, it's become an iconic symbol in pop culture too. That's right, it's been featured in countless films, books and art. I think I first saw the Pantheon in the movie Angels and Demons, certainly added to the mystery and excitement. And it's not just movies. Acclaimed author Dan Brown uses the Pantheon as a significant setting in his book Angels and Demons. Pantheon in such instances isn't just a backdrop, it's used as a symbol, intricately woven into the plot. I guess it's hard to ignore such a captivating structure. Have either of you visited the Pantheon? I haven't yet, Andrew, but it's high on the list. Every time I read about it or see it in a movie, it just fuels my desire to visit even more. I was fortunate to visit Rome a few years ago. The Pantheon was indeed a highlight. I remember standing in the middle, looking up at the Oculus, marvelling at the sheer brilliance of such an ancient architectural masterpiece. The sunlight filtering in created an ethereal aura. Truly a surreal experience. And let's not forget its impact on art. The Pantheon has been immortalised in countless paintings, owing to its captivating design and symbolic significance. Absolutely. The fact that it's remained a cultural touchstone all these centuries later does speak volumes about its timeless appeal. Beyond its powerful presence in the architectural world, the Pantheon has indeed etched a unique identity in our popular culture. Its grandeur resonates, regardless of medium or era, demonstrating itself as a true timeless icon. To wrap up our rich exploration of the Pantheon, I am left profoundly moved by its confluence of brilliant engineering, eclectic history and enduring cultural relevance. It's truly a marvel of ancient architecture that still impacts our contemporary design. I can't help but marvel at how it has endured the test of time, not just as a physical structure, but as a symbol of Roman history, culture and architectural prowess, just imagining all those who have stepped inside its walls, the ceremonies, the rituals, the whispering of prayers, it's awe-inspiring. And amidst this storied past, let's not forget that the Pantheon was and still is an active place of worship, bridging the divide between the mortal realm and the celestial heavens. It holds within its majestic dome countless stories and prayers from centuries gone by. Having discussed the Pantheon's significance, influence and evolution, I am struck by the ingeniously concentric design with its iconic oculus. The way it wonderfully binds symbolism, utility and aesthetics sets a benchmark in architectural innovation. It's almost like peering into a time capsule of Roman history. And to think that it's not just an ancient relic, but still a living, breathing part of Rome's fabric that speaks volume about its strength and enduring influence. We have looked at its stellar past, I now wonder, how will the Pantheon continue to adapt and influence in the future? 
Indeed, the Pantheon's relevance in today's modern world is a testament to its timeless appeal. It's a beacon of perseverance, influence, and cultural richness that has stood tall against the winds of time. It personifies Rome at its zenith, a pinnacle of architectural intellect. As we wrap up our conversation about the Pantheon today, it's safe to say we're left with a stronger appreciation of this Roman gem, wouldn't you agree? Definitely, Andrew. It truly is an embodiment of architectural brilliance in ancient Rome. I'm already excited about our next episode. Speaking of which, are we allowed a little glimpse into the future? Why not? It's hard to keep it a secret because our next architectural marvel is another iconic structure that I'm sure our listeners will be excited about. Absolutely. If you thought today's episode was fascinating, strap in for a ride because we're going even deeper next time. An architectural time machine, it would seem. Well, I can't wait for our listeners to join us on this next extraordinary exploration. It'll be an episode where we peel back the layers of history and tell the untold tales behind yet another remarkable architectural feat. We're bound to dig into its blueprints, discuss its cultural and historical significance, and share the stories that unfolded in its hallowed halls. Sounds like our audience is in for another architectural deep dive, only in the next episode of Blueprint Stories Behind Architecture and Spaces. Thank you, dear listeners, for your continuous support and allowing us to share the stories plotted in stone and mortar on the canvas woven by mankind. We trust that through Blueprint these buildings come alive, painting a vivid picture of human culture and civilization in their own silent yet poignant language. We are so grateful to every single one of our listeners. Your curiosity and love for history is what drives us to continue sharing these engaging stories. And with that, until our next journey together, goodbye and keep exploring. <laughs>